There is this really pivotal scene in John's telling of the Jesus story. There's this moment in which Jesus' friend, Jesus's friend Lazarus, is dead. He's passed away. Jesus gets this news. He goes to where Lazarus is. He goes to his town. He's friends with both Lazarus and his sisters. When Jesus arrives, the sisters each individually come up to him, and they each end up saying the same thing to him. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. They had faith in Jesus. They understood the power of Jesus. They'd watched Jesus heal people, and they were confident that that would have taken place. But now they're not sure what to hope for. Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Jesus has this conversation with one, with one of the sisters. He says, hey, your brother will rise again. And, and Martha answers, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus says something that changes everything. He really redefines reality when it comes to this subject. When he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. More than that. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And then he asks, do you believe this? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We have it open before us now. We pray that our hearts and minds are also open. And Lord, I pray that you'll use this time to let your words be planted in our hearts, for that's all that matters, your word in us, you in us, and us in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for praying with me. Uh, we are continuing our All Request Summer this morning with a look at the afterlife or life after death. Questions about death, how we should approach it before it happens, what the Bible says to us about what happens afterward. And this is important because how we view our passing from this life really affects everything about our living of this life. And what's true of the afterlife, we'll see here, is really true of all of life. We're going to be looking at uh, quite a few scriptures here because we want to build a strong kind of theological structure as we answer this question. Because it's certainly not what I say or some theory that someone else has, but it's what the Lord says as revealed in his holy scripture that we want to know and learn this morning on this super important subject. Amen? So as we do, we're going to find here three truths. The first thing we're going to talk about is our eternity includes our every day. Secondly, our physical death is nothing to fear. And thirdly, our direction determines our destination. So let's uh, jump right in by beginning to realize or being reminded that eternity is already underway. And that eternity includes today. This means that eternal life doesn't just mean life that will last forever after I die. That when we're talking about or when we hear Jesus or the scriptures talk about eternal life, we're not talking about life that's kind of stapled on to the end of earthly life. Oh, that's eternal life. But we're talking about a life that actually is intended to begin for you and for me today, not just the life that lasts forever after we die. In fact, if we're to take Jesus' words seriously here, what he said to Martha was that in him, it's not really about life after death. It turns into life after life. Eternal life starts now. The full and rich and never-ending life that Jesus gives starts now, or it can start now. 
And if you're with me today here in this room or we're together online uh, or you're hearing this message sometime in the future, my prayer is for all of us that we'll be reinvigorated this morning by this idea that God is providing for us full and rich eternal life. It starts today and it's ours to receive. And if this is new to you, or it's something you kind of heard about a long time ago and you're just not so sure where you stand on it right now, I hope that God will use this moment to just kind of whet your appetite for just how good the good news is, that God loves you, has always known you, and has a plan of eternal life for you. His intentions for you are good and never-ending. In John 3.16, we just sang these words a few minutes ago. It says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, this is kind of what he said to Martha too, right? Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. And that word life, in the Greek, it's zoe. It means absolute fullness of life, which belongs to God. Life real and genuine, life active and vigorous, life devoted to God, blessed with richness. This is the the word that Jesus used uses when he talks about the life that he comes to bring. In John 3, 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. In John 10, 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So we have to redefine the here and now before we talk about the hereafter, because Jesus comes to redeem both. Eternal life starts today. Now, last week, Justin Vance, our worship arts minister, preached a great message, didn't he, though? If you were here last week, I just hope it was really tremendous, and I hope that if you see Justin, you've told him so. Uh, Great, great message. He quoted a guy named Dallas Willard a couple of different times in that message. I'm also a great admirer of uh, Dr. Willard. He was a professor and an author and a pastor and just a tremendous thinker uh, in the Christian faith. And there's one point at which Dallas Willard says, in reference to his own passing, which happened a few years ago, but he said, I think that when I die, it might be some time until I know it. Now, that's that's a pretty good goal to have. I couldn't even begin to think about what it would be like for that to be true of me. But I think what he's aiming at here is the idea that uh, he walks closely with the Lord. And uh, the idea is that we can walk closely enough with with God, that life here and life there, our last breath here, our first breath after here, can feel very similar as we walk close to God, because we're with God, in God. God's got us here and there as well, on one side of the threshold and the other. Now, that's a great goal to have, to be able to say something like, it might be a minute before I realize I've even died. But that speaks to this idea that eternal life is meant to be seamless, that the life Jesus gives starts now and then goes on forever. So there are implications to this, this idea that by uh, turning to God, I I have now begun an eternal relationship with him that starts now, lasts forever. It definitely changes the way we see the world and see our lives. Heaven, if that means eternal life, will be indefinitely better than here, right? When we're freed from the nastiness and the pains of this world. But eternal life is also here and now, as well as there and later. And this is an important point for us. It's what Jesus taught us to pray and what he told us to say. In Matthew 6, we're taught to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is 
in heaven, that Jesus comes to bring heaven to us, bring God in his presence to us. He says in Matthew 10, wherever you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Not far, not later, not sometime, but near. See, heaven, properly defined, is life with God. And life with God starts now, thanks to Jesus. This is the Zoe he promised and provides. Jesus put it really boldly when he said in Matthew chapter 7, For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. Only a few find it. What's he talking about here? It has implications to us as we think about this idea of death, physical death, earthly death, and eternal life. Like lemmings blindly running off the cliff, so the mass of humanity, generation after generation, can end up falling for the same pursuit of success or drink or sex or money or power or prestige or comfort that in the end comes to nothing. It's a pointless and literal dead end. But Jesus is talking about this idea that he provides an off-ramp. It's not a narrow path because he only lets a few people in. It's narrow because only a few people take it or even bother to look for it. This is the path that he would call eternal life. Eternal life is offered. It's there for us, but we're not obligated. It's a gift we choose to receive or reject. And we're going to talk more about that later. Eternal life can give us an eternal perspective. If eternal life is uh, affecting our everyday, then it gives us a different and eternal perspective. A couple of, uh, of um, uh, examples of this. Think about our ambitions or our need for earthly comfort. You know, the American dream, so to speak, uh, laid against the promise of heaven. It can be super easy for you and me today in our modern uh, kind of affluent Western world to work hard at creating heaven for us right now, right? Comfortable life, kind of got control of everything. Everything's just where I want it, and, and my life is coming together, and we can pretty much create a, a, a pretty heavenly existence for ourselves. And, and certainly taking care of yourself and your family and, and even pursuing uh, some comfort is not in any way a bad thing until or unless we make the mistake of thinking that they become our, the whole of our life, right? Our reality. And then we end up protecting, we spend all our energy pursuing and creating it, and then all of our mental energy worrying about ensuring and trying to protect those things. We don't have an eternal perspective. We're kind of nailed to the ground that is earth. That's one way an eternal perspective changes us. We begin to see, hey, there's more to this life than just what's here on earth or my comforts or my successes. It also changes the way we think about our worries and our troubles. When I ground myself in eternity, then when I'm going through a hard time, I can tell myself, you can tell yourself, even if this pain or trouble lasts the rest of my earthly life, which it might not, but even if it does, it won't last forever. And I can begin to see whatever chapter I'm going through, not just through the lens or with the framework of my earthly life, but I can begin to see it through the lens of my eternal life. So those are just some ways that it makes a difference that our eternity includes our everyday. But there's more to this. So let's keep going. 
it's a big subject and we only have a few minutes, our physical death is really nothing to fear. The fact is, we're all going to pass from this life. It's a threshold we all will cross. Sometimes suddenly and unexpectedly, but for all of us, inevitably. Our bodies eventually give way. We each will die. Now, we may be afraid because it feels unknown. But the good news of Jesus is that we don't have to be. In 1 Thessalonians, we read, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe, someone say, we believe. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. This changes everything. What did he say to Martha? I am the resurrection and the life. He has redefined this whole subject for us as human beings. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. The key phrase is there, with Jesus. See, Jesus has introduced something new immortality. Death comes for each of us, reliably, relentlessly. We're reminded of it when we attend a funeral. We're forced to consider it when we lose a friend or loved one. The rest of the time, we try to avoid the subject. We're afraid because we feel powerless, but we're not powerless. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, since the children have flesh and blood, that's you and me, he too, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So what's going on here? What we're we're learning here is that Jesus has reversed this this, uh, collision course that we're all on with our own death. He's redefined what that is from being a wall to a portal. We're the children that are being talked about here who know that no matter how long we live our lives, they're too short and will one day end. But we can end up slaves to that thought. We can end up mastered by it. We can end up believing that the end of our earthly lives is the end of our lives when it really never has to be. Jesus has broken the power of death. That's what we're saying we believe here, that his resurrection unleashed a whole new power available to people who put their faith in him. He's broken the power of death. He went to where we all must go, to death, and he did what none of us can do, rise again. He reversed the curse. He blew the circuits. He beat the system, and he did it for us. So let's face it. Apart from our hope in Christ, death can be a pretty scary thought. But what we're reading here is we have hope, plenty of it, in Christ. Unlike so, so many, we are freed from the fear of our earthly lives ending. And that changes our perspective on everything. How worried should I be about this? How hurt should I be about that? What risks should I take for God? And are they risks at all? See, what we're reading here is that it is our ignorance about death and our sense of powerlessness over death that fosters our fear of death. But in Jesus, we are neither powerless nor ignorant of such things. We get to be keepers of eternal life. We get to be the people on the planet who are getting to enjoy this zoe, this life that Jesus has come 
to give. And we get to share it with others as well. Jesus said in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled, right? We think physical death is something to fear. He's, he's saying to his disciples, and by extension to us, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. The earth is not, this earth is not my home, we hear people say. Maybe we've said that ourselves. It's a good thing to say, and it's a good thing to be reminded of. This earth is not my home. That's what Jesus is saying here. There's more prepared for you. Here the way the Apostle Paul echoes Jesus' words in his letter to the Corinthians, the second letter. He says, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body. That's a great word picture for what uh, physical death is. We live in this tent. It will one day be taken down just like tents should be, right? Tents are temporary structures. One day that will happen, he says. And when it does, we will have a house in heaven, much as what Jesus just said. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. A bit of heaven living in us in God's Holy Spirit is like a deposit guaranteeing that we were now made, we have now been redeemed, we are now fitted for eternal life with God. When we say yes to Jesus, that's what happens in us. We begin imperfect, flawed, and sometimes confused as we are, right? We have now become people who are fitted and prepared for heaven with him. Paul goes on, yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will, we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. This changes everything for Paul. He's saying, hey, right now I'm in this tent. Someday I won't be. I have the same goal no matter what. And that is to live for and to please God. So our physical death, what we see here is nothing to fear. Our goal is simply to please him, to live with him, to enjoy him, to walk with him, to accept his good gifts. In previous generations or in different ways of uh, approaching life, a good death was actually the aim or the definition of a good life. To reach the end of our lives, ready to meet our maker, with our regrets confessed and kind of out in the open before the Lord <clears throat> and ready to, to say yes to whatever Jesus has planned next. A good death was actually the goal of a good life. And this takes us to our final point. Our direction determines our destination. Our eternity includes every day, our physical death, nothing to fear. And our direction in life determines our destination in our afterlife. We will all face eternity. Or, really, more accurately, we're all facing eternity now. Again, trying to bring the idea that eternity is not something that for later, but it's already taking place. We were made for eternity, and we will live on that eternity is spent either with or without God. He wants nothing more than to have our eternity spent in the light and warmth of his presence. This is who he is. This is who he's always been. We can reach all the way back into the Old Testament and read these words from 2 Samuel, like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. Rather, 
He devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. Another translation says, God does not take away life. He works out ways to get the exile back. This is you and me. This is all of us exiled from God, wandering, doing our own thing. He has always been the one to walk toward us even when we wander from him. He has always been the one to make or devise a way to bring us back if we will only say yes to him. And I suppose if there's one thing that I hope all of us walk out of here with today, again, whether you're here with me in the room, you're online, you're watching later, whatever it is, I hope the one thing that you'll see is that God wants nothing more than for us to simply say yes to him. Doesn't mean that you've got all your theology figured out or all your doubts removed and all your behavior is squeaky clean and, and all of that. What it simply means is, do I want to live with God? And if I want to, or I want to want to, he can work with that. God does not take away life. He works out ways to get the exile back. And the way he worked out is Jesus. But the choice is ours. We've said heaven can start here, but we also need to admit, in some ways, so can hell. In Galatians chapter 6, we read, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting what? Life from the Spirit. See, eternity and where and what that looks like, eternity will be no surprise to us. We will be where we've always been, where we've always chosen to be, with or without God. So let's spend our last few minutes looking at these eternal destinations that we've come to call heaven and hell. The scriptures don't give us a point-by-point -point lowdown on either of these locations, not all the details, but we do know, for instance, that heaven will be a paradise where we will enjoy God's unmitigated presence. Words don't do it justice. We read about streets made out of gold, angel armies consistently worshiping. We read of light with no shadow, no more tears, pain, or sorrow as well. It seems clear from Scripture we'll see and know each other. We receive blessing and reward for our sacrifices and labors in this life, no matter if we follow the Lord a short time or for a really long time. We read that it is a dimension of pure love, full life, supreme joy, and infinite beauty. And best of all, Jesus is there. He's prepared it for us, and he takes us to be with him. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, He died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. With Him. That's His goal for us. And so our decision is, am I going to live with or without God? That's always our choice. Do I want to live with Christ or without Him? And again, this is the pivotal the question, the pivotal decision that I hope, uh, if you don't remember anything else, you remember that simply today, this day. Now, I'm not, not talking, of course, everyone wants to live with them forever. But if you don't want to live with them today, chances are good you don't want to live with them forever. Today is when eternal life can begin. So do I want today to live with Christ? Again, not that I have everything figured out or that my behavior is a, a plus uh, and that I'm getting everything perfect. Only do I sincerely want to learn what it means to live and be loved, to live with and be loved by God. 
Do I want to put myself on that path? Do I want to say yes to that gift? Do I want to point my soul in that direction? That is the first and pivotal question. And we can say yes because we're thinking of the hereafter, but it's in the here and now that we also must say yes. We may or we may not want to live with God. If heaven is everything I just described or so much more, then I, uh, I want to live with him and I want that heaven to start now, which Jesus promises it can. But if this is what heaven is, then let's ask ourselves, what is what the Bible describes as hell? And the answer is, in some ways, pretty simple. Hell is the one place God is not. Its existence is the consequence of eternal beings choosing to live without God. We're told it's prepared for the devil and his angels. See, when choice is allowed, and this is, this is key, choice is allowed. Love is never forced. It has to be accepted and chosen. And so that means we get to choose. And when, love, when choice is allowed, then consequences are too. So when you or I choose to exist without God, which we're allowed to do, to live, to do life on our own, to reject him, to set him aside, then when we leave this place, there's only one place we go, only one space without God's presence. If I choose to live without him here, God will give me what I've chosen. If light, if God is light, hell is dark. If God is comfort, hell is agony. If God is love, hell is wrath or an absence of love. If God is the designer of true beauty, then hell is disturbingly ugly. Hell is simply eternity without God in all of his goodness and in all of his wonder. And in a sense, we send ourselves there. In fact, any place where God is ignored or rejected can get hellish, sometimes slowly, sometimes pretty quickly, but always eventually. Whether that place is my own heart and mind the life that I live, the relationships that I form, my family, you name it. But God relentlessly and wholeheartedly wants to be with us and for us to choose him and have eternal life. So what have we seen today in this brief overview? Our eternity includes our everyday. Physical death may seem like something to fear, but in Christ it really isn't. And the direction, the direction I'm headed right now is the trajectory of my eternity. God gives me what I want. Do I want to be with him? Wonderful. If I say I don't want to be with him, he will not force himself on me, not now and not forever. Eternal life can start now for you and for me. So while life remains tough, sometimes torturously and challengingly trying, the joy and the purpose we receive by walking with Christ is still unparalleled in this life. That this idea of heaven coming to earth does not mean all my circumstances line up and get rosy. It just means that I am now a new person able to navigate all those circumstances through the power that Christ gives me and gives you. So let me invite you to accept the gift of this full and unending life. And sure, the next life, life in heaven, will be infinitely better than this one. So stifled, so muted, so blurred. Have we humans made God's presence and influence in this world? I can barely imagine what a place will be like where his love and, and joy is unmitigated. His beauty and creativity and splendor are unfiltered. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, quoting Isaiah 64, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard. What no human mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love him. So friends, 
as God lovers, as Jesus followers. And I hope if that's not you today, that your, your, your appetite is whetted by that possibility of becoming a follower of Jesus. We know that our earthly lives will end, but it doesn't mean at all that our lives will end. In conquering death, Jesus makes eternal life possible. Eternal life means deep and rich and abundant and full life, both after we pass on from this earth and while we're still here. And friends, as of right now, we're still here. The opportunity to say yes is still here. We're living eternal life today, prayerfully, unafraid of death, and aiming for heaven. Every week when we take the bread and the cup, that's in a sense what we're doing. We're recalibrating our lives, aiming to heaven once again. If you grabbed one on your way in, I invite you to go ahead and take it in your hand. Let me go back to the beginning scene uh, of, the, of our time together. What Jesus did, because he raised Lazarus from the dead, that's actually what ends up happening next in that scene. He calls Lazarus out of his tomb. What happened there was actually a catalyst from an earthly perspective to sending Jesus to the cross. Because when he did that, he really got the attention of the religious leaders to the point that they realized they had to now squash and extinguish this movement because this was going to unleash his popularity and it was going to validate his message more than anything. The dude actually walked out of his tomb thanks to Jesus' words and power. This now, he, the Christian faith, as we've come to know, it was going to be unstoppable. And the religious leaders couldn't handle that. They wanted to extinguish this movement, thanks to what Jesus did that day. But we remind ourselves each week, they did not extinguish that movement. Amen? Here we are again together. So let me take you back to those words that Jesus said to Martha and let them land on us again. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone, that includes me and you, who believes in me, Jesus says, will live even after dying. In fact, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And then he asks, do you believe this? Every week when we take the bread and the cup, we're answering, yes, we do. Let's take the bread together. And when we take the cup, we're drinking in that very life that resurrection power that he promises. Let's take and drink as well. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the ways that you have provided for us to say yes to you, this gift of eternal life that you've made possible. Lord, it's just there, ready for us to say yes, and we get to live, live into it and enjoy it and learn from it and begin to explore it for the rest of our days here on earth and I believe uh, in the hereafter as well, that we'll just keep getting to learn and discover how much you love us and how good and wonderful you are. And so, Lord, my prayer is a simple one. For all of us who've already said yes to you, Lord, I pray that we would be renewed in our love for you by just being reminded of how much you love us and what you've done to make this life possible and that we get to live this life. It's not just for later, it's for now. And for those who have not yet said yes to you, I pray, God, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would just begin to, to draw them to you. 
not out of any kind of, of sense of fear or you know, signing some insurance policy to make sure they, they're hanging out with you after they die, but instead, God, it would be this draw that says, I'm loved by God today. All my mistakes and regrets and confusions and even my doubts, I'm still totally and completely loved by God today. And he has something for me, this eternal zoe, this eternal life. And I want to explore that. I want to say yes to that. And I want to receive that gift. Lord, we pray that that would happen by the power of your spirit. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.